If you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. We're going to be teaching a very familiar passage of Scripture this morning. I'm going to spend um, a few weeks to, uh, just going over the topic of what it means to be born again. Um, you know, you hear people, you've probably heard people say a lot, well, um, so-and-so got saved. Or, or you may have thought and you told somebody, well, I got saved Sunday or whenever it was. And, and you know, I, I really want to dig in and help people understand what it means to be saved. Because I want you to know this first and foremost. First and foremost, saved is more than praying a prayer. That's important. Saved is more than just believing that Jesus is the Son of God. That's important. And you're going to see a lot of that this morning and over the next coming weeks we're going to look at that. In a few weeks we're also going to be examining our salvation. And I will look at some scriptures this morning to show you why we're going to do that. Uh, my, my intentions and my plans were to come back and finish the study of Revelations that we started a year ago. And um, I just haven't been able to get back to it. Um, I still plan on doing that. But I just, I, I just feel like this is something that's needed right now. I was able to spend um, uh, five days, I believe it was, with the youth uh, in Gatlinburg. And I don't get to minister to the youth as often as I used to be able to minister to them. And so I was thankful that I was invited to be able to go and, and just spend that time ministering to them. And I spent all week just focusing on what it means to be born again and how to examine ourselves to see whether we are truly born again so that we can know it. And the more I spent with them, the more I realized that it's not just our youth that needs this. The church today needs this. The church today does not have a good understanding of what the Bible teaches. Thank you, buddy of what the Bible teaches whenever it says you must be born again. So that's the plan for the next few weeks. Um, if some of this sounds familiar to you, that's fine. I ask you to just pay attention and just, um, just let it refresh your memory of what you already know. But don't get bored with me. There are many that I believe need this. And even if you've been saved for years and years, it'll do you good, I promise you. So if you have your Bible... And you're in the Gospel of John chapter 3. If you would stand one more time as we give reverence to reading this living and powerful Word of God. And we are going to go through verse uh, 16. I'd plan on going through verse 11. We're going to go through verse 16. Starting in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to Him, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter into a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is what? It's flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him and said, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. In other words, we're not just a teacher that's teaching something that we apparently don't understand. We speak what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe it, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man also be lifted up so that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You can be seated. And if you would, go to the Lord in prayer with me before we go any further. Father in heaven, we come to You this morning and um, Lord, we acknowledge that This is Your Word. Lord, unless You inspire it, unless You send it forth, it will not accomplish anything that it's meant to accomplish. But Father, my prayer this morning is that You would help me to to send this Word forth and to preach it in such a way, Lord, that it creates faith. Father, that people are truly born again and they understand what that means. Father, I pray this morning that You would open up blinded eyes to be able to see, uh, Lord, our sin against You and what the result of that is. And I pray that You would create in us a clean heart, a, a heart that desires You, a heart that desires Your way, not flesh, not fleshly ways, but spiritual ways. So Father, I pray this morning that as you send this word out, that you would cause it to accomplish the purpose that you sent it out for. Father, you do your work. Lord, this is a work that only you can do. And Father, we ask you this morning that you would draw men to you. Father, that you would draw all people to you, God. And Father, I pray this morning that eyes are open, that ears are able to hear, and hearts are able to to receive and understand what you have to say to us from your word this morning. Father, we love you. And we trust You. Lord, we know that not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from Your will. And Father, we are worth more than many sparrows. And Father, I just pray this morning, God, that uh, Lord, You would do what only You can do in our lives. And Father, we ask You for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I told you, I want to talk for a few weeks about what it means to be born again. Not just saved, as we put it. Now, don't get me wrong. We are saved. That is an absolutely correct term for us to use. But Jesus puts it a different way here. He says that you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And let me explain something to you. That means that you will not spend eternity in heaven with Him and there is only one other option unless this happens in your life. So let me ask you the question, how important is it that you understand this topic and that you are able to examine yourself to see whether you have been born again? This 
is what everything hinges on. Okay? And so I want to uh, remind you of a few scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, verse 5. Let me get down here on my list where I can see it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Nathan, I don't know if it's going to let me do it or not. See if I've got control now. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Y'all get that? Now he's talking to a church when Paul writes this. He's not talking to people that are not saved. He's talking to people that as far as he knows, they are supposed to be walking in the faith. Alright? Another scripture, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says this, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. But that first part is what I want to focus on. Brothers, be even more diligent to make your call and election what? Sure. You need to know that God has called you out of the darkness of your sin and into the light of Christ. You need to make sure your call and you being chosen by Him is absolutely sure. And the Bible bids us to do that. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, he actually says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that also will he reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So there again, what we see in that, and I'm showing you these Scriptures because I want you to see it firsthand. Now I know last week we said that we weren't going to do this as much, and we're not, because I want you following along in your own Bible. That's what we want. But as I reference these things, it's easier for me to be able to get you to look up here and see it than it is for everybody to try to, to get there on their own. So you stay in John chapter 3 and go along with me, but just track with me as we go through these for just a moment. So he says here, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. If he sows to his flesh, he of the flesh reaps corruption. If he sows through his Spirit, he of the Spirit reaps everlasting life. So again, there's two ways to live. Of the flesh, that leads to corruption. Of the Spirit, that leads to everlasting life. But don't be deceived. You're not going to sow to the flesh and reap everlasting life. And you're not going to sow to the Spirit and reap corruption. The two are opposite one another. But what does it mean to be deceived? Tricked, right? Don't trick yourself. Don't fool yourself. Examine yourself. Test yourself. Unless indeed you fail the test. Alright, let me show you another scripture in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord. What does that mean as far as their understanding of Him? Who was He to them? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? Did we not cast out demons in Your name? Did we not do many mighty works in Your name? And then I will declare to them, what? That's interesting, ain't it? Wouldn't you say it would be a good time to make sure that we examine ourselves today? Alright. 
And then one last thing in James chapter 2, verse 19 through 20. You believe that God is one. You do well. But let me tell you something. Even the demons believe, and they believe so much, look what they do. They shudder. But do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is what? Dead faith cannot save you. So again, I say the whole point of this is we need to examine ourselves. We're bid to do that. We're asked to do that from the Word. We need to make sure that we're not deceived. We need to make sure that we test ourselves to know whether we are in the faith. Because unless you are born again, not saved and I came up here and I prayed a prayer and, I, and, and that has got me there, unless you are born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now that's what the Word of God says. So based on that, go back with me to John chapter 3. And we're going to look at these scriptures in the hopes that we can explain to you this morning what it means when Jesus says, you must be born again. So first things first, Jesus has um, been doing many, many miraculous things. Matter of fact, if you were to back up to John chapter 2, and since you're in your Bible, look at it. If you were to back up to the end of John chapter 2, verse 23, notice these, these verses are important because they set the context for why we get the story of Nicodemus. Alright? So pay attention to John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in His name when they saw the signs that He was doing. So He's been doing all these great signs and there is a crowd of people who have believed, believed in His name. But Jesus on His part did not, and this is the same word that you just saw, believe, we just translate it different, it means to have faith in. So let's read it like this. But Jesus on His part did not have faith in them because... He knew all people. Verse 25, And He needed no one to bear witness about man. Didn't nobody have to tell Jesus what was in man. Nicodemus is not going to have to tell Jesus what's in him. The woman at the well in John chapter 4 is not going to have to tell Jesus where she's at and what's in her. You remember what Jesus said to her? You've had four husbands. And the one you're with right now and she went running back to town and said, Come meet a man that told me everything about me. So this is important because Jesus is going to know everything about Nicodemus before they talk to him. But Jesus has many people so-called believing in him, but not having true faith. All they see is that he's a powerful man. He has to be from God. But see, believing Jesus is from God won't save you. Believing Jesus is a good teacher won't save you. Believing Jesus can do many powerful things and believing in the name of Jesus will not save you alone. So let's see what Nicodemus does in chapter 3 verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Here's the first thing I want you to pick out of this if we're studying it. First, let's meet Nicodemus. Let's figure out who he is because that's important. Because Nicodemus is apparently a believer in Jesus, but he's not born again. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus because he believes 
He believes that Jesus, there's something different about this guy. And he is a man of the Pharisees. Now that's the first thing that we learn about Nicodemus. Here's something that's important to know. He's not just a Jew. He's a Pharisee. A Pharisee was the strictest sect of religion when it come to Judaism. So in other words, there was no other group out there that followed the law of God and lived for God anymore. There was no better group as far as self-righteousness went than the Pharisees. They were the cream of the crop. They were the, the top of the religious ladder. So that's the first thing you need to know about it. The word Pharisee actually comes from a Hebrew, Hebrew word meaning to be completely separated. That's why it means Pharisee. It means that they are completely separate from everything else. They are a group of people that not only do they follow the written law of God, the law of Moses, but they even follow over 600 plus laws that were oral traditions that, that, that went along with the written law of Moses. And so, while the typical Jew would follow certain things in the law, they went above and beyond and followed even oral traditions that were handed down. Ceremonial washings. You remember the story whenever a Pharisee asked Jesus to come in and dine with him, and Jesus and his disciples came in, and they didn't wash their hands? And the Pharisee went, How dare you sit down and eat and not wash your hands? There'd be many people today that would say that too. I'm not going to get in on that. Wash your hands, okay? Wash your hands. It's good for you. But anyway, they believed that this was something that, that, that it was actually law. And I mean, if you don't do this, you are a sinner. And Jesus stepped up and said, you know, you guys ought to worry a little bit more about the, outside, about the inside of the cup than the outside of the cup. Because what matters is in here, not out here. And so Jesus has to address a lot of traditions that these Pharisees keep being holy, if you will, and yet they don't really get it. But again, they're the top of the top. And so a Pharisee would have been like Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Do you remember when Paul said, listen, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Pharisee and as far as the law is concerned, I'm what? Anybody remember? Blameless. Blameless. In other words, as a Pharisee, I followed this thing to a T. And this is who you would have been looking at when Nicodemus come. If somebody, he said, as far as zeal is concerned for God, there is nobody that has more zeal for God than the Pharisee. He said, let me prove it to you. I even persecuted the church. That's how much I was, had zeal for the Word of God. This is a Pharisee. These guys, as far as self-righteousness goes, they are serious about their religion, about following God. Alright, that's the first thing. The next thing that... Uh, I, w- one more thing. I, I, I just noticed this on my notes. You remember the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector? You remember when the Pharisee was sitting there and um, he's saying, God, I thank you. I thank you that I'm not like these other men, especially that tax collector over there. God, let me tell you what I do. He said, I tithe of everything I have. In other words, they didn't just tithe of their first fruits of things. He said, I tithe of mint, of dill, of cumin. In other words, I even tithe my spices. 
Any of y'all women in here brought your tithe for spices this morning? Y'all left them at home, huh? This guy, he said, listen, this is how much I follow the law. I even tithe down to the spices. And then he goes on to say, not only that, but even though the law only actually requires that we fast one time a year on the Day of Atonement, the truth of the matter is I fast twice a week is what he said. The Pharisees fasted on the second and the fifth day of the week even though the law only required one. So again, you're going through here seeing time after time again, the Pharisees were somebody that as far as self-righteousness goes and good... If somebody can be good enough by following God's law to get into heaven, who is it that's able to get there? Pharisees, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the guy. If anybody can get into heaven by being good, Nicodemus is it. He is a man of the Pharisees. But then he's not just a man of the Pharisees. Look what it says next. He is a ruler of the Jews. So he's not just a Pharisee, but he is in the ruling party of the Jews. So you had this thing called the Sanhedrin. Does anybody have enough Old Testament memory and Scripture in your head to remember when Moses was in the wilderness with all these children of Israel and they began to grumble and complain against God. And, um, and whenever they were grumbling and complaining, Moses, he looked up and they kept coming to Moses for everything. And Moses looked to God and he said, God, did I give birth to these people? He said, I didn't take these people to raise. I didn't carry these people in my womb. He said, this is too much for me. I can't take it. And you remember what God told him to do? He said, go pick you out 70 men, 70 men, elders of this congregation that are known to be good leaders, good rulers. He said, and with you along with those 70 men, y'all will rule over these people. And when somebody has a problem in a certain tribe, they'll go to this one. When somebody has a problem in another tribe, they'll go to this one. Well, in the New Testament, that developed into what we know as the Sanhedrin. It was a group of 70 men, some of them being of the Pharisees, some of them being of another uh, denomination, if you will, of the Jews, the Sadducees. And they had some difference in the way they believed in the resurrection and some other things. But the point being this, he was a member of the top 70 of all the Jews. So not only is he a Pharisee, but he is a ruler of the Jews as well. And this is important to understand. So nobody knows the law better than him. In other words, they were the highest council in all of Jerusalem. When there was a matter concerning the law, who'd they go to? The Sanhedrin. They went to Nicodemus. They sat before Nicodemus. And Nicodemus would make a decision on the law and how it is interpreted and how it goes. No one knows the law of God better than this guy. No one follows the law better than this guy. There's a reason why this is written in here. He wants you to know who Nicodemus is. Alright? Now, let's look at the last thing that we learn about Nicodemus. Go to verse um, 10. In verse 10, here's the last thing we learn about who this Nicodemus is. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Now this is important. So not only is Nicodemus a Pharisee, the strictest sect of all Judaism, not only is he a Pharisee, but he is a ruler of the Jews in all matters of the law are concerned. And not only is he a ruler, but he is... What does it say there? Are you what? 
Not just are you a teacher, are you what? Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? So here's the next thing. No one knows the Old Testament and the ways of God better than this guy as far as religion is concerned. He is the teacher of all Israel. And yet, in other words, it's his business to teach people the ways of God. Of all people, this guy is supposed to know these things, and yet he don't. Now this is the guy that comes to Jesus, alright? Is there anybody as far as righteousness goes in, in self, is there anybody in all of Jerusalem that is better than this guy? If there is anybody that can get into heaven on their works and their living and on just being a good person, is there anybody else other than him? That's why you have this story. Because you have to understand that there is only one way that you are going to inherit the kingdom of God. And if this guy can't get it, guys, let me tell you something. You're not going to get it any other way. So let's keep reading. So starting verse 1 again. Now there was a man of the Pharisees. His name was Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night. You know why he came by night? Because he believed in Him, but he ain't born again yet. He comes by night and he says to him, Rabbi or teacher. So here's what we see next. We not only see uh, who he is, but we see what this man knows about Jesus. So here's what he knows about Jesus. The first thing, he knows that Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. He knows he don't have any training like Nicodemus has had. He came up out of nowhere and yet, this man, he's a teacher. And he says, teacher, here's what we know about you. We know that you are a teacher come from God. So the first thing we know is he's a teacher. The second thing we know, or Nicodemus knows, he's a teacher that comes from God. And the reason he knows this is because no one can do these signs that you do unless what? God is with him. So here's the third thing that he knows. He knows not only did you come from God, but God is, He's with you. But let me tell you something. Just because you believe Jesus is a good teacher, and just because you believe Jesus came from God, and just because you believe that God is with Jesus, that's still not enough to save you. That's not genuine saving faith. So we have to keep going. Verse 3, now we're going to learn what Jesus knows about Him. Now this is important because Jesus just comes out of nowhere and it's like Nicodemus ain't even asking what he wants to know yet and Jesus just steps up and says, hey, let me tell you this, why do you think Jesus did that? According to the end of chapter 2, He knows. He knows Nicodemus, just like the woman at the well, just like the blind man that's been blind from birth and he said, this guy's been blind for the glory of God. <laughs> Just like he knew Lazarus was going to die, we're going to wait four days before we go. Jesus knows. You know why he knows? Because he's God. And he knows everything. And he knows everything that's in man. And he knows what's in Nicodemus right here. And he knows that Nicodemus needs to be born again. Look what he says here. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
This is the way Jesus steps up to this good man, to this guy who follows the ways of God like nobody else. This man who is a ruler of God's law and leads people in God's law. And this guy who is a teacher of all of God's law. And Jesus steps up to this guy and He says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Why did Jesus put it like this? Why did He make the statement, born again? Because we're going to see in a minute that Nicodemus didn't really get it, not at first. So why does Jesus say, we must be born again? Well, let me show you a few scriptures to, uh, to show you why He says that. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, look at what it says. And you were what? If you're dead, then that means that you need what? Life. You need to be born again. You need to be born and become alive. Because here's the problem. You were, and he's talking to Christians here, but if you're not a Christian yet, he's talking to you that says, you were dead. You are dead in your trespasses and in your sins. And keep reading in verse 2. In which you once walked, and here's the reason why, you followed the course of this world. In other words, that's what your heart and your mind was set on. The only thing I care about are the things in this world. My life is all about this world. My life is all about the money that I need to make, the house that I need to buy, the cars that I need to get. In other words, my concern, I don't seek the kingdom of God first and His righteousness. That's not my heart. That's not my mind. My heart and my mind says there's more important things out there. And he said, when you follow the course of that world, it is sinful because you were not made for that. You were made to walk with God. You were made to see the glory of God and worship God. You were made to proclaim His goodness in all things in this world that you see and all these things in this world that He does for you. And yet instead, you live for who? For me. You were dead. Reason why? Because you used to walk following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. You know who else did that? Satan. You're just following. You're following the course of the world. The world is following him. And it is the spirit that is now at work in all the sons of disobedience. And look at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Is anybody exempt from that? Let me tell you something. You come out of your mother's womb saying, Give me what I want. And if you don't give me what I want, what am I going to do? That's exactly right. And the older you get, guess what you do? You keep on doing that because you're all about you. This world is all about you. The passions of my flesh, what I want, the things that I desire. You know, Lady Gaga wrote a song. If y'all don't know that great theologian of our time, Lady Gaga, she, um, she wrote a song um, and it said, um, I, I, I don't know the words of the song, but the, the part of it, it says, I was born this way. Yeah, you sure were. And that's why you must be what? Because you live according to the passions of your flesh. 
the passions of your flesh. And look what it says next. You carry out the desires of your body and the desires of what else? The mind. That's important. Passions of your flesh, desires of the mind. Y'all tracking with me? All right. And were by nature because of this, here's what your nature was. You by nature, you were children of what? Wrath. Like the rest of mankind. Here's the point. You must be born again because you were born with a heart that does not want what God wants, but your heart wants what who wants? What you want. And what does the course of the world say? If it makes you happy, what? Do it. Follow your heart. Your heart will never lead you astray is what the world says. You know what Jeremiah and God says about your heart? There is nothing in this world that's more evil and more deceitful than your heart. He actually goes on to say, who can even know it? Who can even understand it? So we have these hearts that have passions that are not, that are not of God. We have these minds that um, have desires and that are not of God. We have, these, um, th- we, ha- we have these hearts that are impure. Let me show you that. Go to Romans chapter 1. I'm not going to spend as much time in this as I'd like to. I'm just going to show you a few things. Look at Romans chapter 1. Let's read verse um, 24 first. And this is just saying that because we didn't want God's ways, here's what happened to us. Therefore, what did God do? God gave them up to what? To the lust of their hearts, to impurity. In other words, God said, okay, if this is what you want, I'm going to let you have your way. So God gave us over to hearts that are dead. Why are they dead? Because they're under the wrath of God, because they're under sin, because they don't follow God, the source of life. Y'all tracking with me? All right, let's keep going. Look at verse 26 of Romans 1. For this reason, God gave them up to what? To dishonorable passions. So in other words, we had passions that were not godly. Alright? So we have hearts that are impure, that are not godly. We have passions that are impure, that are not godly. And is anybody exempt from this? No. You were born this way. But we must be born again. And then keep going with me. Go down to verse 28 of Romans 1. And since they did not see fit to what? To acknowledge God. God gave them up to a what? to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. So again, keep tracking with me because this is your answer of why we must be born again. You have hearts that are dead in your sin because of your impurity. You have passions that cause you to be dead in your sin. But you know why? Because it separates you from God. And God is your source of life. And if you pull the plug on life support, what happens? You separate yourself from the source of life by your passions, by your impure heart, by your debased minds. And God says, okay, here you go. And you walk in deadness. And here's why we do that. In Romans chapter 1 verse 21, back up and you'll see in verse 21 why He does this. For although they knew God, you know how they knew God? Creation. Is there any way this morning that I could convince you that, um, that nobody 
nobody did this piece of paper with lettering in that picture that literally it popped up out of the ground, if you will. Nobody did it. Nobody wrote this message. Nobody drew this picture. It just happened. Can I convince you of that this morning? Is there anybody that I could spend all day trying to convince you of that and you would believe it? No. You know why? Because your common sense says, I'm not an idiot. If you can't believe a paper can make itself and words can put themselves together, how in the world can you look at creation and say, ah, nobody did that. (laughs) Just popped up. Just happened. If you were to go back to Romans a little bit earlier in Romans chapter 1, he says that. He says, the way they knew me is because all my invisible attributes were clearly seen in the things that were made. When you stand on the beach and look at the ocean, you know what it was meant for you to do? For you to stand and say, wow, what kind of God does this? What kind of Creator makes this? When you go to the mountains and you see the scenery, you know what the point is? For you to stand in awe of it and say, who makes this? Who does this? When you hold your newborn baby, you know what the point of it is? How amazing is a God that does this? All of creation is meant for us to know God. And although they knew God, they knew the Creator. Here's what we did. We did or did not do. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their what? The minds all of a sudden became useless because the whole point of your mind was to be able to comprehend all of who God is and look at it. And yet we wake up every day and see this big ball in the sky. And see, did you know right now you're sitting on a giant blue ball traveling at a thousand miles an hour? Right now you are moving at a thousand miles per hour. Did you know that? And guess what that ball's attached to? I'm Superman, y'all. My wife's embarrassed. Hey, she she knows I'm Superman. That's what she knows. <clears throat> but the point is, is that listen, we wake up every day and we look at all of this creation and we go, oh, it's just normal. There ain't nothing normal about this. Nothing normal about any of this. And yet we get up every day knowing God and yet still we refuse to honor Him as God, to give Him thanks, but instead we become futile in our thinking and instead of honoring Him and giving Him thanks and worshiping Him, we don't want that. We want what we want. I talk to children a lot. They say, I hear children, I used to be this child, I say, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to church. I want to do what I want to do. You know why? Because even though I see all this and I know who God is, I don't want to honor Him as God. Because I have a heart that don't want to honor God. Nick, you remember the day you used to sit in church? You didn't care about none of this. Didn't want to hear it, did you? You know why? Because Nick had a heart, just like the rest of mankind, that didn't want the things of God. Oh yeah, I know who He is. I see it. But I don't want His ways. I don't want to acknowledge Him. I don't want His desires and His passions. I like my own impure heart, just the way it is. I like my own mind the way it is. 
And no matter how good you think you can be, the truth of the matter is you are by nature a children of wrath because you don't want to honor God, you don't want to give Him thanks, you don't want to follow Him. And so God has given you over to an impure heart, to dishonorable passions, and to a debased mind. That's important because you must be born again. Guys, you need a new heart. You need a new heart. You need a new mind. You need new desires. And that's not going to come unless God gives them to you. So let's keep going. Look at John chapter 3, verse 4, because that's the way Jesus put it. Nicodemus, you got to be born again. You're not going to be good enough. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? A legitimate question, right? So Nicodemus don't understand, right? And verse 5, Jesus answers and He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You are not going to spend eternity in heaven with Him unless you are born again. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. And you have to understand that. You have to know that, Nicodemus. And see, there are many people that actually have interpreted this, and there are several ways to interpret it. Some people have interpreted, okay, well, he's talking about the water birth, when a, when a woman gives birth and, um, and her water breaks. And that is one way to interpret it, and I'm not going to say that, um, that it's wrong. I've looked at some other ways. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying, and I'll explain why in a moment. Some have said, well, he's talking about baptism. But here's the problem. Uh, Yes, John is doing a baptism of repentance in this, but as far as the Christian baptism is concerned, it's not even been started yet. John is giving a baptism of repentance, but even John said, when the, when the Lamb of God comes, the Spirit of God comes, He's going to baptize you with fire. And so, he's not talking about water baptism. And remember, the context. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to a Christian. He's talking to a, a Jew. Old Testament. Not baptism, all right? And, and, and there are some other ways. Some people say, well, he's talking about the baptism of repentance that John does, but I believe he's talking about something that Nicodemus would understand. Because remember here in a moment what he says to Nicodemus? He says, are you the teacher, the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? What... Jesus is doing is taking him back to all the promises of God of what God said He was going to do. Let me show you just a few of them. In Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 through 20. Nathan, I'm sorry I've lost control of that, but have you got it up there? In Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 through 20. Y'all follow along with me. Here's what God has been promising through the prophets of old, long before Jesus comes. God told them through Ezekiel, I will give them one heart and I will give them a what? New spirit. You must be born again. You need new hearts. You need new minds. You need new passions. And God says, guess what? I will do this. This is not something you do. This is something God does. I will give them one heart, a new spirit. I will put within them. I'm going to do this. I will remove their heart of stone from their flesh and I will what? Give them a, a heart. In other words, I am going to give you a new heart 
Let me tell you, one of the reasons why I know I'm born again today is because I hate my sin. I hate the way my old heart is. I hate it. I'm at war with it. And I love to have this desire that I have to follow God to turn away from the things that are not godly and that are fleshly and to honor Him and to love Him. And let me tell you something, that's not in a dead man. That's not in a dead heart. In a dead heart, you come in here like I was talking about with Nick and like I used to be, and you sit on these pews and you don't care what I have to say. You don't want to hear it. You're just waiting there watching your clock saying, and I've heard people say so many times, one of the reasons why they don't come to this church, you know why these pews are not packed? One of the number one reasons? They say, you preach your preaches too long. Okay, this church is not for you. And that's what I say. This church is not for you. You're exactly right. We're going to preach until the Word of God is complete. Until it's taught, we're going to keep on. We're not on some time schedule that says, I have to be done by 12 o'clock. If that's where you feel, this is not your church. It's not it. But if you have a desire, the Bible tells us in Peter, like newborn babes in Christ, desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. I love the Word of God. I love to hear the Word of God. I love to understand the Word of God. But that ain't in a dead man. That's because God gave me a new heart. All right, let me show you another one. In um, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, by the way, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will, and I love, every one of these promises, who's going to do it? I will. God says, I will do this. This is what God is going to do when you are born again. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Keep going, verse 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. You know why? Because they'll know me. They'll know me. I know the Lord. He lives in me. I know Him. And no longer does anybody teach them saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And here's the beautiful thing about being born again. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Being born again says, I've been given a new heart and God has took all that old sinful mess and He has cast it from far away from me as the east is from the west to the depths of the oceans. So far hath He removed my transgressions from me. And then one last one, because this is what I believe that Jesus is alluding to when He says, you must be born of water and the Spirit. Look what He says in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 27. Here's the promise that God said, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And He's just alluding to the Spirit birth. 
that when God cleanses you from your sins and He remembers your iniquity no more, He sprinkles clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Alright, y'all just keep listening to me. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And then look at this. I will do what? I'll give you a new heart. And I'm going to give you a new spirit. I will put it within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. In other words, being born again means this. God gives you His Spirit. And in that Spirit birth, He gives you a heart that is broken for your sin. And He gives you a heart that cries out to God for you to be saved. And then He tells you, I will forgive you and I will clean you up from all of your unrighteousness and I'll remember it no more. And out of that comes a new heart that says, God, I love you. God, thank You for saving me from my sin. And out of that new heart comes new passions. And out of that new mind that He gives you, He teaches it. And He shows you how to live for Him. That's the reason why the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, because that's the way sinners walk, right? But be ye what? Transformed by how? By the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to discern what is that good and perfect will of God. So again, God is teaching you. This is the reason why we come in here and we study Jesus and we learn more about Him week after week after week because God is giving us a new mind. We're being renewed in the spirit of our minds and we're taking this new heart that has passions to follow God and to be pleasing to God and to turn away from my sin and we're putting on the things that we learn about Jesus, and we're learning to walk more like Him and less like me. You remember what John the Baptist said? He must what? Increase, and I must what? Decrease. That's what it means to be born again. God opens your eyes to your sin. He opens your eyes to what Jesus has done, and He does this through the preaching of the gospel. What does the Bible say in Romans 10? Faith cometh by what? Hearing. And hearing what? He does this by the preaching of the gospel. God comes in and He says to you, you are not good enough. But unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And you recognize that you are a sinner that does not acknowledge God. And you recognize that you follow the course of this world. And you recognize that the wrath of God rests on you unless you are born again and you cry out to Him to save you. And He says, here's the gospel. I sent My Son to pay for your debt. And everyone who believes on Him will be saved. But you are saved because you are born again. And let me keep showing you. Go back to John chapter 3 with me again. Because He gives an example. So first off, let's read verse 5 again. John chapter 3 verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... So again, I believe He's alluding to the Old Testament promises. I really believe that's what He's saying. That God's going to sprinkle clean water on you and cleanse you. And God's going to put His Spirit within you. And it's all part of the new birth. Alright? And the reason I say that is because 
He goes here in a minute and says, Hey, Nicodemus, you are the teacher of Israel. You know all of these things. How do you not understand this? So he expected Nicodemus to get it. Verse 6, he says, listen Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is what? Flesh. In other words, because you were born of the flesh, you have a heart of flesh. You have a mind of flesh. You need a new heart. You need a new mind. And he says, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You need to experience the Spirit birth, Nicodemus. In verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And in verse 8, we get the example. Jesus wants him to understand. So He gives him an example. Y'all listen to this. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now think of this example. How much control do you have over the wind? Can you tell it when to come? Can you tell it when to leave? All you can do is sit there and and be a part of its effects. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. But what do you know? You know it's been there. And here's what he's saying about the Spirit birth. When God says, I will put a new heart in you. I will give you desires that are mine. I will write my law on your heart. When God says, I'm going to do these things and I'm going to take that old heart out and I'm going to put a new heart in, when that happens, you don't know where it come from. You don't know where it went. But one thing you know, you know it's been there. I remember the night that I recognized my sinfulness against God. And I was a Christian a believer, if you will. But I remember when God opened my eyes to really what it meant to be a sinner under His wrath. And I can remember that night sitting in the corner of my bedroom, crying like a baby, God, I need You to save me. Please forgive me for my sin. And I can remember when I trusted that God had forgiven me of all my sin and cleanse me of all my unrighteousness and I had a real desire to live for Him and to honor Him and glorify Him. I got up from that place and I went back to my work the next day and I told everybody, this is what God has done for me. I want you to come and hear my testimony. I want you to come and hear exactly what God has has done for me. And I'm telling you, I didn't know how it happened. I didn't know where it come from. I didn't know where it went. But one thing I knew, I knew I was saved. I knew I was born again. And my life has not been the same since. Now that don't mean I ain't made mistakes. You remember Romans chapter 7? The Apostle Paul said, man, I know the right thing to do. And I want to do it so bad. But even though I know the right thing to do in my flesh, I'm always doing what? The wrong thing. And Paul's talking about this war that goes on in Christians. And I have that war too. I have that battle. But let me tell you something. There's a heart inside of me that wants to follow God. That loves God. That loves others. That loves to show forgiveness to others. That, sh- that loves to, to show grace to others. And those things happen because I have been born again. So the example, you don't know where it comes from. It's like the wind. You can't tell it when to come. You can't tell it when to go. But when He does it, you'll know it. 
And then in verse 9, <clears throat> Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? You know, this is beautiful because he's really looking at Nicodemus saying, You have the Word of God. You've heard the Gospel. You teach the Gospel. And yet you don't get the Spirit birth. And the problem was, Nicodemus had fell into this religion of as long as I do this and this and this and this and as long as I'm good enough, I'm going to get there. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, no. How are you the teacher of Israel and you don't get this? And here's the reason why Nicodemus didn't get it, because he wasn't born again. Because God had not opened his eyes yet. You want me to show that to you? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Go with me there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4. This is important. Guys, please, because this could be the day that God opens your eyes and shows you what it means to be born again and your life could be forever changed. But look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. In their case, the God of this world, notice that's a little g God, right? Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Alright, keep going with me. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, and I love this because He takes you back to creation. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. You remember when God did that? You read about it in the beginning. It was dark and God said, let there be light. And what happened? Did anybody else do anything? Just simply God spoke and from His Word, light came. Are y'all tracking with me? Spirit birth, it's like the wind. It's not something you do. It's something God does. He said, when God said, let light shine out of darkness, that's the same thing He did for us because He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you've been born again, it's because you heard God speak the Word, the Gospel. You heard the Gospel preached. And God drew you. And even though the devil was trying to keep your mind blinded from seeing what you must have in Him, God said, let there be light. And when there was light, guess what? Everything changed. Because when light comes, guess what the darkness has to do? It has to flee. The Spirit birth. You must be born again. And the way it happens is through the hearing of the Word of God. And you hear the Word and you believe the Word. And you know that I am a sinner against God, and I need to be saved from my sin. And you cry out to God, God, save me. Save me from my sin. And you believe the gospel that through Jesus Christ and through His shed blood, God will forgive you and God will cleanse you. And you trust in that. And you have faith to believe it. And you get up from there with a new heart, with a new spirit, 
with a mind that is new and is now going to be renewed day after day after day. But then He gives us another clue. Go back to John chapter 3. Just so you know, I'm not just saying these things. John chapter 3 and verse um, 11. Remember, He told Nicodemus, you're the teacher of Israel. You're supposed to know these things. You teach people, but you don't understand this. So in verse 11, He responds, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. I know what I'm talking about. And I can say the same thing today. That's the reason why Jesus said we. In other words, the people who have been born again. We know what we're talking about. I know what I'm talking about because I've been there. I've experienced it. We speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you not, do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, the things I'm telling you are heavenly. They're spiritual. I'm trying to give you earthly examples and you don't even believe that. But, in verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except He who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. I'm the one who can tell you these heavenly things because that's where I come from. You know that God is with me. You know that I'm from God. Believe what I'm saying to you. Trust me, Nicodemus. Believe it. And then he goes on in verse 14. He gives the last example. And I'm coming very close to a close. Let me say that. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Here's the last example before Jesus preaches the gospel to Nicodemus. Because remember, faith comes by hearing. And I'll, I'll let you know something. Nicodemus was saved. Nicodemus was born again. And I'll show you that here in just a few minutes. Prove it to you. But here's the last example before he preaches the gospel to Nicodemus. And he steps up and he says, Nicodemus, you remember Numbers chapter 21? The children of Israel in the wilderness, they're complaining and they're sinning against God. And God gets so angry, His wrath is so hot on them that He sends serpents. And the serpents bite the children of Israel and poison them. And the children of Israel turn around and they cry out to Moses and they say, Moses, please save us. And Moses goes and he prays to God. And God says, i tell you what I want you to do, Moses. You go and you take a cross and you build a bronze serpent and you put it on this cross and you lift it up in the air and you tell those children of Israel that this is how I'm going to save them. Everyone who's been bit because of my wrath, you turn and you look on, what's, you, you look on that cross. And you know what happened when they looked on that cross? They were healed. This is the example that Jesus gives of being born again. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and they were healed, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Now, Jesus is ready to preach the gospel. And He says, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe on Him should not perish or suffer the the entire wrath of God, but have eternal life. 
That's the gospel. But you can't get to that. You can't get to for God so loved the world without understanding the wrath of God first. That we've been bit by a poisonous snake. And God is saying, everyone who recognizes that and cries out and says, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, please save me from my sin. Turn and look at the cross. And you look at what I've done for you. You look at what I have given you so that you might be saved. And everyone who trusts in that, that I'm going to forgive them, that I'm going to cleanse them, that I'm going to remember their sin no more, and everyone who believes in that will be saved. And you rise up from that understanding what it was to be a sinner and understanding what it is to be saved, and you have a new heart. And you have a new understanding of God. You're not blinded anymore. You see it. Your eyes have been opened. I love the Scripture in Acts chapter 16. I don't remember exactly what the verse is, but it's in Acts chapter 16. You remember when Lydia, the seller of purple, was listening to Paul preach? The Bible has a beautiful verse right there that says that God opened Lydia's heart so that she might understand the things that Paul was preaching. Beautiful text. Think about that. God opened her heart so that she might understand. Why is it that some people get saved from hearing the gospel and some people don't? Because sometimes, and I can't tell you why, it's like the wind. I don't tell it when to blow, do you? You tell it where to go or, 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 or who to blow on. No, you don't. That's not under your control. But one thing about it, when it happens... You know it. And when God decides that He wants your eyes to be open, guess what He does? He says, let there be light. And He puts His Spirit inside of you. And He gives you a new heart. And He gives you a new mind. And He leads you in His ways to follow Him. And that's what it means to be born again, guys. Born again. You're not the same. And I'm telling you here today, in the coming weeks, we're going to give some exams that the Bible gives us to examine yourself to see whether you're really in the faith or not. And you're either going to pass or you're going to fail. But one thing you can take from today is this. If you don't know if God has gave you a heart for Him, if you don't know if you have desire to follow Him and turn away from your sin, I'm probably here to tell you this morning you've never been born again. And my advice to you would be, if you understand that you are a sinner and you have a healthy fear of God that you don't want to be under His wrath, then you come and you cry out before Him, God, please save me. And you look on the cross and you see that God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son and that whoever will believe in His sacrifice and trust that God has paid for your sin, you will be saved and you will not perish and you get that new heart, and you get that new mind, and you follow Him. So, let me finish this up. Nicodemus, what happened? Well, in John chapter 7, just a few chapters down the road here, the Sanhedrin, the high council of Jewish rulers, are trying to kill Jesus. And Nicodemus stands up. He's named in John chapter 7. You can find him. And it actually says, the one who came to Jesus by night. 
So it, it tells you exactly who it is. But in John chapter 7, Nicodemus stands up and he says, Hey guys, we can't try a man without giving him a trial. We can't punish a man without hearing his side of it first. And we can't punish him without giving him a fair trial. When did we start doing that? And the Sanhedrin turned around and looked at Nicodemus and said, Are you a follower of his too? And that's just where it leaves it. So Nicodemus is, is believing but then when you get to John chapter 19 or John chapter 20, it's right around in there, Jesus is in the tomb. And guess who's coming with 75 pounds of spices to anoint the body of Jesus Christ? Nicodemus. 75 pounds. Anybody ever here have a 75 pound child or know anything about what 75 pounds would feel like? Let me tell you something. Nicodemus is coming to greatly honor Jesus with 75 pounds of spices. Tradition tells us that he was baptized by Peter and John. Tradition also tells us that Nicodemus lost everything and was kicked out with his family out of Jerusalem because of his faith and his boldness in preaching the gospel. Tradition also tells us in the Jewish Talmud that, and it doesn't call Nicodemus by the name Nicodemus, it uses a different name, but it's Nicodemus that it's talking about. But it says that after Nicodemus was martyred for his faith in the first century, he lost his life for it, that some disciples or some Jewish people came by and they saw Nicodemus' daughter digging through the dung of animals, picking out grain to live. What has to happen in a person's life for them to turn toward God in such a way that it costs them their life, their belongings, it costs their family having to be out and not be able to even provide for themselves? What do you think happened in Nicodemus' life? Nicodemus was born again and he was never the same. My question to you is very simple. Do you see such a change in your heart and such a change in your life that you know, you don't know how it happened, you don't know where it come from, you don't know where it went, but you know one thing, I'm not the same. I don't want the same things. I don't want to follow the same things. I don't want to act the same way. I have a new heart. I have a new mind. I have new desires. If you can't say that this morning, then this is just the beginning of this series that lets you know maybe you have not been born again. And unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So I pray this morning will be that morning for you. If I can help you with that, Brother Nick's up here, I'm up here. Um, if you've got to wait in line, if I, I, I don't know what God's going to do. may not do nothing. I don't know. I, I don't have any control over where the wind blows. But I believe He spoke to somebody this morning. And I would pray that if He spoke to you, humble yourself before Him. You cry out to Him. You trust in what He's done for you and you let Him do a work in your life like has never been before.